0: Advent is uh, an in-between time of year, not just between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Advent is about uh, what was and what will be and what has already happened and what has yet to occur. Advent is this um, season of expectancy, of anticipation. For Christians who really live as sort of residents in two worlds. We live in the here and now with all its joy and sorrow, its victories and setbacks. We love, we laugh, we get tired, we make mistakes, we hurt and we rejoice. And we grieve as we are making our journey in God's creation that's being recreated. We also live in anticipation for what will be for the life to come. When we were baptized, when we made a profession of faith, we entered in a life of belief and practice that guides us in this present world and prepares us for the life to come. So Advent reminds us that we're living in this in-between time. Part of our life in Christ is living the now in the grace of Christ uh, that arrived when uh, he was born, as he lived, died and was raised again from the dead. Another part of our life is found in Christ, is living in the hopeful expectancy uh, for what will be. And so today we're going to begin uh, by exploring part of the truth of what will be, as described in Luke 21. In all of the Gospels, uh, there's a a chapter usually that's devoted to, to a look to what will be. And Luke 21 is that chapter. So in the beginning of of Luke 21, we read of, uh, as the NIV says, signs of the coming age. And then we're going to take up the reading today in the middle of that, in verse 25. This is page uh, 1636. There'll be signs in the sun, moon, and stars... On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what's coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up. Lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful. Or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man it was 8:15 august 6 1945 the sky was calm the morning light glittered through the air and the all clear signal sounded was sounded by siren and over the radio suddenly a blinding flash cut the sky one eyewitness felt a burning heat a violent whoosh of hot air across his body The earth seemed ready to collapse. And he raised his head to face the center of the city and a mass of clouds mushroomed into the sky over Hiroshima and everything grew dark. For those who saw it, one thought passed through their minds. The world is ending. Advent, which means coming or arrival, Reminds us that we live between two arrivals. We live between the arrival of a baby in a manger and the apocalyptic return of this same baby become a man. We live between the coming of our Savior and his arrival in a cloud with power and great glory. Advent reminds us that we live between the known. And the unknown. If we're honest, the future is scary. Some parts of the Bible talk about the future in language that's hard to understand. The literature is apocalyptic, which means unveiling. Luke 21 unveils for us a world that lies beyond or behind our present world. It's really sometimes more darkness than light. Definitely, there's a sense of emergency. It will seem like all hell has broken loose. Sun, moon, stars, earth, sea in an uproar, and everyone all over the world in a panic, the wind knocked out of them by the threat of doom, the powers that be quaking. Hollywood doomsday movies seem to get it right. A catastrophe of immense proportion will afflict us will be overwhelmed. There'll be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places. Regions of our world will be tossed into turmoil, like Florida leveled by hurricane or the Ebola outbreak afflicting Congo. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The globe will experience shock. Luke tells us in verse 9 that we will hear of wars and revolutions like Syria, Yemen, battles raging, children suffering. There'll even be cosmic disturbances. Fearful events and great signs from heaven will take place. There'll be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. All people everywhere will experience the cataclysm. It cannot be escaped. Of course, Luke's not alone in his forecast of dread. All along, the Bible has said the apocalypse is coming. There's many places that we can read of warning. Here's just two. Micah 1 declares, Look, the Lord is coming from His dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath Him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. Zephaniah 1 prophesies, The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Everything breaks loose. Despite our efforts, despite our technology, the end will still come. Uh, A Chinese researcher edits some genes of twins. We strive to develop self-driving cars. We seek to protect our borders. And still, despite edited genes or cars on autopilot or walled borders, there is nothing we can do to stop the inevitable. The end will come. The earth as we know it will die. We even see signs today. North Korea, Russia, Iran, all continue to flirt with nuclear weapon power. Perhaps the conflict of nations will obliterate our planet. Climate change is hastening the demise of planet Earth. Perhaps our consumptive lifestyles will finally obliterate the planet. Even NASA has a planetary defense system to warn of rogue asteroids that could wipe out the Earth. Perhaps creation itself will obliterate the planet. However it happens, the end will come. Our sun will one day burn out. Our world is finite. Luke's vision of an apocalyptic end is not science fiction. The end will come. Your life, my life, there will be an end. The life of our planet, the world as we know it, will end. Right now, we live between these two advents. We live between the first coming of Jesus and His second coming. Between the creation of the world and God's new creation. And the one to come, the future one coming comes with elements that just might scare us. Perhaps that's why most of us feel better about the first coming. I mean, decorated trees and jolly red-dressed, overweight gift givers aren't ominous. This time of year, we prefer to concentrate our energy and our attention on the first coming. I mean, who wants a Christmas that scares us? As someone once noted, We try to keep life lived close to the ground. We count shopping days until Christmas. We make our lists and check them twice. We watch for Santa who might arrive by parade or visit him at the mall. Like the Who's down in Whoville, we have the presents, the ribbons, the wrappings, the tags, the tinsel, the trimmings, the trappings. Christmas is about a baby. We know babies. So we know how to manage Christmas. We put up the wreaths and we set up the crash and we place around a few poinsettias and sing, Away in the manger, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. One pastor concludes, altogether we figure out how to manage Christmas so that the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay won't end up scaring anybody. I mean, our world has been scared enough. Mass shootings... Car bombs, drug cartels, opioid epidemics, refugee caravans. Who needs more panic? In May 2004, a conductor for Pennsylvania's Transit Authority made a frightening discovery. An electronic transmitter was planted alongside the tracks in the commuter rail yard. Homeland Security agents were dispatched. The FBI swarmed the scene. The gadget was a motion detector designed to, to send a signal to a nearby receiver. Things were tense. And then one of the train mechanics stepped forward. He admitted installing the transmitter. Was he a terrorist? Was he a disgruntled employee looking to do damage? No, it turns out that he worked the graveyard shift and he installed the motion detector to sound an alarm in his work area whenever his supervisor was approaching. He just wanted to be able to nap safely without getting caught. Luke says no one will escape. The signs aren't just for some. It's not like they will only affect a certain people or place. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity. The roaring and tossing of the sea will send everybody into anguish. People will be so distressed they'll faint with fear. The worry that even worse things will happen will grip the globe. These signs of the end will come to all. And that's exactly why Luke warns us. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, the anxieties of life. Luke knows what we're like. Luke knows how we deal with it all. We numb ourselves with the pleasures of this world. I mean, who needs to wait when everything we want comes to us immediately? Two-day shipping inoculates our pain as we accumulate the world's goods. Our delight is satisfied by our frantic consumer hunger as we feast at the communion of Black Friday. Besides, it all seems a little bit too fantastical. I mean, who can figure out God's timing? It's all too supernatural. And, and, And truth be told... For those of us who believe, it can be a little embarrassing. It sounds like those end-of-days prophets and speculators who sit on street corners or make multiple predictions or sell us laminated rapture placemats. So we grow passive in the waiting. The Christian church has been waiting so long for Jesus to return, we kind of grow tired. He hasn't done it yet. And as one person said, it's hard to stand on tiptoe for 2,000 years. So we just accept the status quo. and We stop looking to the sky. And our faith grows weary in everydayness. And Jesus warns, be careful. Be alert. Pray that you might escape all that's about to happen. Pray that you will be able to stand before the Son of Man. Yeah, we may grow weary of waiting or we may be embarrassed by the end of time calendars and the, in case of rapture, this vehicle will be unmanned bumper stickers. But more likely, it seems like we get obsessed with the anxieties of this world. We worry about life, so we drink. We get drunk, so we worry, and all of which makes us want to drink. And this classic addictive cycle afflicts us as we try to relieve our distress. Weighed down by the complexity, we simply choose to ignore the Lord's return. We choose for a kind of interim faith, tempted to live a kind of common sense Christianity that, as one person says, keeps everything close to the ground. As Neil Plantinga says, a ground-level Christianity. Now, such a a Christian life doesn't deny the second coming, it just doesn't give it much thought. It lives just enough religion to keep us going. It's a Christian life of church and sacraments, scripture and prayer, golden rule and ten commandments. It's a Christian life of just enough of this world to feel right at home here. See, we have a choice. We can be alert. We can see Advent as a time to take a fearless inventory of where we stand in our expectation for Christ's return. I mean, Advent is a season to ready our hearts for the coming one. Or We can continue to live in interim faith, choosing to ignore the Lord's return. We can keep our Christian faith at ground level, seldom looking to the clouds upon which Jesus will return. But there's surprise in that second Advent. The clouds of the future, the ones we so much dread, signal the arrival of our Savior. Stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Whenever we see the signs of the times, watch out. Not because God's going to put on some apocalyptic fireworks display. No, it's because God is on the move. When the end seems so near, when the suffering seems to be epidemic, we're not further from salvation, but closer to it. The second coming isn't full of doom and wonder. It's full of Christ. He will bring the best of what God has to offer. His return will be the coming of the kingdom of God. Advent reminds us of Jesus' first coming and points us to his second coming. Watch out. Look up. Lift up your heads. Jesus lifts our hopes because the kingdom of God is coming. We watch in hope. For that day, justice is coming to our earth. Women of Iraq and Nigeria will no longer face brutal rape and sexual exploitation by terrorists. Women of North America will no longer have to band together and cry out, Me too. Peace is coming to our earth. Israel Jew will sit down with Palestinian Christian and they will talk to each other about their children and grandchildren. Ferguson police and Black Lives Matter activists will share lunch together at the local park. The liberation of God is coming. Addicts will be freed from the drugs that plague them. Refugees will no longer live on the border between living deaths. Here's the good news. God promises us a future based on his past faithfulness. As God has been, so God will be. And so we watch and we pray, believing that the kingdom of God is on the move and it is coming near. Jesus is coming back with redemption. Luke points to the promise of the fig tree bearing leaves in the spring. When the leaves sprout, says Jesus, you know. No, not that the winter darkness is coming. No, he doesn't say that. He says, when the leaves sprout, you know that summer is near. So, says Luke, when you see these things, all the things he's written about in chapter 21, when you see these things happening, you know the kingdom of God is near. See, our future isn't just some extension of our present. Our future is that logical extension of what God has done with us already. As God came to us in the past, God will come to us again in the future the Jesus who was born, the Jesus who cried out in agony on the cross, that same Jesus is coming again. The future belongs to Jesus. And because our lives are intertwined with His, in His grace, in our baptism, in our faith, we also have a future. But here's the thing the intensity of our watching, it seems is so often directly proportional to how good a year we've had. Because you see, when our life is good, we aren't necessarily looking for God's kingdom. But for those who live in bad news, for those who know the pain and the suffering of now, for those who get enslaved to the woes of this world, God's kingdom can't come soon enough. Some want the kingdom to happen now. Like right now. Passionate Christians want the return of Jesus. But so do compassionate Christians. When our lives are blessed... We can look around and we can see those whose lives are not so blessed. And then we hope. We especially hope for those who have no hope. We work, we spend our lives in the same direction as our hope. The church lives its life in that place where there is disappointment, brokenness, suffering, the pain of this present world. All of that held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is to come. See, we live in that tension with our hope. We live our lives with grace and love. We live in such a way that people will say of us, Ah, that's how people are going to live when the righteousness of God takes over the world. And so we remain faithful in work and attitude. We live the kind of hopeful expectancy that shows that our lives are shaped by the coming kingdom of God. Os Guinness tells a story about the Connecticut House of Representatives. They were in session. It was a bright day in May. The delegates were working by natural light. But then quite unexpectedly, right in the middle of debate, there was an eclipse of the sun. Everything turned to darkness. Some legislators claimed it was the second coming. Clamor arose. Some wanted to adjourn. Some wanted to pray. Many figured it was time to get ready for the coming of the Lord. But the Speaker of the House responded differently. He was a Christian believer. And he offered the delegates some good logic and some excellent faith. He noted that the darkness upset everyone and that some were afraid. And then he said this, but the day of the Lord is approaching or it is not. If it's not, there's no cause for adjournment. And if the Lord is returning, I for one choose to be found doing my duty. I therefore ask that candles be brought. And all who expected the return of Jesus went back to their desks and resumed the debate. Jesus is coming. And Jesus' words lift our hearts and our heads and raises our hopes. Jesus' word draws us forward. Our redemption that once came near is coming again. Advent wants to find us watching in hope. God's grace doesn't mean that we'll be exempt from the distress that's coming, but here's the deal. Just when we think the end is at hand, when God seems far away and the earth falling apart, When suffering seems to be epidemic, we're not furthest from salvation, but we're closest to it. Keep watch, says Jesus. Pray. Continue to work for God's kingdom. Now's the time to keep our Christianity not at ground level, now is not the time for us to dull or drunken our spirits. Christ is found in the midst of our greatest need. Look up. Be watching and hope. Because when God breaks in, our redemption is near. Jeremiah says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what's just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. Now we lift up our hearts to give thanks to this Lord, our God. For it's right for us to give thanks and praise. With joy, we praise you, gracious God, for you have created heaven and earth. You've made us in your image and you've kept covenant with us even when we fell into sin. And we give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, whose coming opened to us the way of salvation and whose triumphant return we eagerly await. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again.